Scientists play a huge part in our everyday lives. Climate change, helping to solve the world's energy problems, improving our health, and as we've experienced throughout the pandemic, saving lives by responding with fast-tracked global vaccines. There are so many other ways we're positively affected by new discoveries. But how are scientists turning breakthroughs into world-changing businesses? It's one thing making a discovery in a lab, but taking that idea and starting and scaling up into a successful business is just as challenging. From encouraging young people into science in the first place to avoiding startup pitfalls and onto growing a business, even becoming a worldwide leader. In this series, we're going to hear from those who've built a successful science business as they share some of their secrets with us. I'm Hannah Previtt, a business journalist with The Times, and welcome to the Science of Business. To begin our brand new series, let's take you back to early May and the launch of something new at the Science Museum in London. Good evening and welcome to the Science Museum. Advanced research clusters to create unique ecosystems to stimulate scientific innovation and smooth ideas from concept to lab to commercialization. Science-ready sites with premier facilities, co-working spaces and business support. One of the great things about ARC and the launch today is really just the ambition to create more and more space for these startups to scale up. The hub approach means that you get the greatest minds working collaboratively, and that's the real advantage. In the UK, there are very limited number of incubator spaces, so the startup companies really struggle to find their first home. This ARC is going to change that. I think what's really exciting about it is it's bringing disciplines together, reflecting the real world and which will reflect society. I get a sense from these campuses that there's an opportunity there to think about things like saving our planet and thinking about how science can really be at the, at the edge of that, cutting edge of that. So, an important launch that's going to help science businesses as they go from startups to taking on the world. The person behind it is Stuart Grant, CEO of ARC, who's our very first guest on the science of business. In this episode, we're going to find out more about how working in clusters can really help scientists as they develop and scale groundbreaking new ideas, as well as getting a sneak preview of just some of the things you'll be hearing across the series. Stuart, it's great to meet you. Hi, Hannah. Nice to be involved in your podcast. We know it's called ARC, which stands for Advanced Research Clusters. But in simple terms, for anyone listening who hasn't got the slightest clue about what that is, how would you explain it? We recently launched Advanced Research Clusters with the help of our investor, Brookfield, who are one of the biggest investors in the world. And effectively, we are creating a network of science and innovation clusters initially across the UK. And then in time, we've got a broader ambition to expand that network overseas, initially into Europe and then further afield. How will ARC help the UK in particular here? 
become a science superpower? We already have four clusters in the Golden Triangle in England, one in Harwell, just south of Oxford, one in the heart of Oxford, and then one in Uxbridge, and then one in West London, Hammersmith. We have buildings there full of science and innovators and technologists. Our largest cluster is at Harwell, which is 700 acres. There's 6,000 people working there. We focus on the space sector energy tech sector, the life science sector, and the quantum computing sector. But these clusters are up and running and they're networked. And our vision is to connect these clusters together so that the people who work and the organizations who work within our clusters can connect more easily. I think having clusters established and promoting a critical mass of scientists and technologists and innovators helps innovation, it helps productivity, it helps create jobs. Our broader mission is to to help transform the economy and to help solve some of the world's key challenges in the future. So we really feel as if we're helping innovators do high quality work by creating the right environment for them to do their work. And just why do you think this is so timely? I think there's a new industrial revolution happening and you just look at things like artificial intelligence, mRNA, blockchain, fusion, etc. All of these are new industries, if you like, that are really changing how we work. If you also step back and just think of the broader demographics and the, the challenges affecting the world, we've got aging population, increased cases of illness be it from pandemics or be it from cancer, you know, uh, we've got extreme weather challenges with droughts, flooding, wildfires, etc. So I think a lot of these new industries are extremely relevant for the challenges the world faces. I think the businesses of the future that are, are going to make an impact and are really interesting are based on science and technology. Yes, and perhaps there's more interest in them from a consumer point of view as well. But prior to the pandemic, your average man or woman on the street just wouldn't have known that and perhaps wouldn't have been so interested. Yeah, no, I think it's absolutely valid. Every time we switch on the news, we often are listening to science-led headline stories. And, and I think the consumer interest in science and technology has definitely picked up dramatically. But at, at the same time, that plays through to other audiences who are, are, are showing more interest in science and technology. Venture capitalists, for example, if you look at the statistics in terms of the amount of venture capital money going into science and technology and innovation type businesses, the numbers have really increased quite dramatically over the last couple of years. We see it at the coalface of our business, organizations in the Golden Triangle, they're hiring more people. When they hire more people and they raise more money, they tend to look for larger facilities as well. If you look at the statistics, just the real estate statistics, there's a massive undersupply of space available in these critical ecosystems in the UK. If you compare us to the US, we have a massive difference in terms of the amount of lab space provided to the market versus if you take cities like Boston, I think there's 30 million square feet of lab space there, whereas in London, there's about a million square feet. What do you think has been the kind of secret to the success of clusters in places like Boston, San Diego and, and San Francisco, which is obviously well known as a hub of innovation, as well as places like Tel Aviv and Israel? My background is in the real estate industry and a lot of the great ideas in the real estate sector that have been successful in the UK have often come out of the US first and then have been copied over in the UK. And it's this, you know, that might be student accommodation about multifamily housing, etc. So I think in this sector of science, technology and innovation, real estate, 
it's an industry that's well established in America, and, and you've seen great companies like Biomed and Alexandria and Longfellow and Ventas, etc., build very, very big businesses with a focus on creating real estate ecosystems next to leading hospitals and universities in the key cities of America. And it's successful because it's been built up over time. I think Alexandria started in the mid-90s, Biomed probably 20, 25 years ago, and they've established critical mass. And I think that's really important. So it's going to take a while for us to really build the business over here. With critical mass comes increased connectivity. Organizations like to be juxtaposed next to other organizations that are relevant to their business. It gives them an access to talent, to money, and it allows the smaller organizations to have an increased chance of success. And I think also clusters in the States, it promotes increased risk-taking and innovation, and that's really important for growth. That's really interesting, Stuart. And some of those themes that you mentioned there around talent and money and the things that startups need to grow are topics that we're going to return to over the course of this podcast series. We're often criticised here in the UK for not being ambitious enough. You know, our startups often get bought, often by US-based companies, before they get to unicorn size. What do you think of the comparisons between the UK and the US when it comes to that kind of culture of ambition and risk-taking, which you alluded to earlier? The UK obviously is home to many of the world's greatest universities, and we've got some very smart people in the UK. And if you look at the number of scientific papers produced on a per capita base in the UK, we're at the top of the league table. The counter to that is actually, if you then look into the statistics of the investment levels, number of unicorns created, we actually underperform. So we're not the top. And I think that's where we probably need to improve. And it's probably linked to the amount of VC capital that we have being raised in the market, the salary levels, a lot of these clever people will create their ideas, but maybe you get pulled across to America. And the idea is that we want to create a, an ecosystem here that doesn't allow that to happen. Obviously, some people will leave, but uh, it'd be great if we can hold on to our talent and promote a culture where collaboration is really encouraged and promoted. So typically, again, for people listening who aren't super familiar with the topic, how would a science-based business make its first steps from the lab at a university to starting out as a commercial enterprise? Well, if you look at Oxford, a lot of the great ideas are supported by the university and they have a, a sister organization that helps support these organizations financially. At Harwell, we do the same. Our partner, STFC, which is the Science, Technology and Facilities Council, actually have an incubator facility at Harwell where we help small organizations get going. So they will have their clever idea, but they need a place to work. And they are obviously don't have a lot of money. And often they might be very young people who've never run a business before. So we will hold their hand, we'll help them with funding, we'll help them with a facility, Often we'll provide equipment if that's necessary. And then it's the softer skills of how to run a meeting, how to set up an organization, how to organize your finances and your tax and if you need to borrow money, etc. So I think there's handholding that's required for these small organizations in the early stage. We, along with others, are establishing incubators to help support these small organizations. Okay, Stuart, we'll be coming right back to you in just a second. The Institute of Imagination, a charity based in 
in London is helping to find the scientists of tomorrow. I found out just how the Institute of Imagination is achieving this on a trip to one of the many schools the charity works with, St Luke's Primary School in Canning Town, East London. And here's what some of the children and teachers had to say. In the Institute of Imagination, they like you to reach your highest point. It's all about working together, different beliefs and how to work as high as you can. I like Lego Ouija from the Institute of Imagination because you can be your own teacher and you can control your Lego robot from the computer and it can do whatever you want. You can express your feelings and how you like to do it and you just don't sit there and copy from a book. You can be creative. I'm Sheldon O'Garro, I teach year five. My name is Candy Koenig and I am the maths and computing lead and at the moment I'm teaching year three. How important do you think it is that they see the real world applications of science rather than it just being something in a lab that people wear with you know white coats on? Actually it's not just in science or in computing that we talk about it because I think the children realise it in the world that we are today they use computing more often and they're always on YouTube and seeing these things so it's the other aspects as well they do think about it and then they do think oh how am I going to apply my maths in this section and how do I link those two together so those cross-curricular chances that we give them and I think that because they have these projects where it's very open-ended it's kind of a thing where whatever I come up with at the end it's okay rather than them thinking oh mine has to look a specific way they know that what they've created is great and it's met the objective and they know oh like I can do it. And you can hear more about this different approach to getting children involved with science in our next episode of The Science of Business. But in this first episode of the series, we're talking to Stuart Grant, CEO of ARC, Advanced Research Clusters. Having heard the excitement there from those children, how much does it remind you of your own childhood and that spark that put you on the path to what you do now? Yeah, being a parent, I get very excited about helping children discover science, technology and innovation. When I think back to my own childhood, I wasn't a strong scientist, but I had a a passion for it and I enjoyed it. I think in our role, we're very privileged to have the ability to create these amazing clusters in the UK and beyond. And the future is the kids. And I think part of our program is to try and encourage children to come to our clusters, to visit the organizations within our clusters and discover uh, science in their own way and to build their own enthusiasm for the sector. I see the kids coming around the campuses and they really, really enjoy it. For example, we have the European Space Agency at Harwell. They often have school kids visiting their campus. And how cool is it for a teenager to come in and see a satellite or could touch a sample of soil from Mars? That gets me really excited, really passionate. It's critical that children have exposure to science not just in the classroom but through physical field trips we often have teenagers doing internships over summer etc as well Stuart, you are the absolute linchpin of all of this as the CEO, but I presume you have a team around you. So can you share a bit more about the structure at ARC and how you've brought people together to make this happen? Yeah, the story goes back two years. Brookfield and myself and my partner Graham Stanley decided to try and build a platform focused on science, innovation and technology, a real estate platform. We bought into a joint venture at Harwell, where our partners are the Science Technology and Facilities Council and the UK Atomic Energy Authority. Brookfield have a 50% interest in the in the campus. And we, Graham and I, help run the business. And again, modesty aside, I'm the CEO of the campus, but uh, we have an amazing team of 30 people at Harwell that are doing 
a lot of the hard work, be it networking with organizations, business development, designing new facilities, improving amenities, placemaking. Our landscaping is unbelievable and people love to work there. And then the broader vision was, can we add to Harwell? Can we buy more campuses and then build a network? And, and we managed to achieve that. We bought Oxford Business Park, which we're rebranding to Art Oxford. Uxbridge, we're rebranding to Arc Uxbridge and then Arc West London. So we now have four key clusters and we have a 400 acre site in Hatfield, which is on the way to Cambridge, where we are working with uh, the local MP and local stakeholders to try and build a 1.5 million square feet cluster there. We also think it's important for the UK to be connected into Europe and have our cluster network going into places like the Netherlands, France, Germany, etc. So our, we have a team of people looking at acquiring new campuses and stroke clusters in those markets as well. So from one team to another, and when it comes to building a great team, Oxford Dynamics, based at Harwell in Didcot, knows a thing or two about getting this right. They've got a pretty novel approach to how they manage their business, as I discovered when I met its founding director, Shafali Sharma. When we started Odi, how do we want to structure? And one thing that was absolutely clear to us was we didn't want a C-level type structure or C-suite titles in the business, at least for now as we're building the business, building the culture in the team. As you said, there are a lot of reasons why startups feel the need to see you, right? There's that sense that the buck must stop with someone for both internal and external reasons. Another reason is, oh, investors expect it, which I've never understood in the first place. Other reason could be, you know, one founder might have done or has had experience building startups before, or, you know, individual founders with career aspirations may want to have the title on their resume, for example. So there are a lot of reasons why the C-suite titles and that structure exist. But I think most of the times it just boils down to people saying, oh, we want that structure because investors expect it. To me, having a structure like that, especially when you're three co-founders who have equally invested in the business, who care equally about the company, it's just not fair, in my opinion, to have a structure like that. Shafali is just one of the many fascinating people we'll be hearing from in this series of The Science of Business. In this first episode of the series, we're with Stuart Grant, CEO of ARC Advanced Research Clusters. Stuart, I understand you have cluster managers at ARC who are pivotal in making ARC a success. Tell us more about that. The cluster manager model is quite unique. What happens is when an organization shows interest in coming to Harwell, or we proactively approach them, we won't just go with our real estate hats on and tell them, here's a building, here's the rent, here's the square footage, and blah, 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 here's the rent free, and what a great place Harwell is. We'll go with a much more sophisticated approach where we'll take some of our real estate experts and we will take along to the meeting the cluster managers from STFC. So we have scientific experts that cover space, life science, energy tech, and quantum. So we have a kind of a, a dual-pronged approach to business development that I think nobody else has, and uh, it really helps us secure interesting organizations. And it's very relevant. You know, we're often meeting 
very, very clever scientists or innovators, technologists. When we start talking about real estate, they tend to blank out quite quickly. But if you have in the room somebody who, who's a peer who can talk to them about their specific area of science, it's a very powerful cocktail. We're going to pause there for a second, Stuart, because recruiting the right people for your business is another topic we'll be covering in our series. So it's not just about the necessary skills, but also about flair, creativity and how a person brings something different to a team. I went to Animal Dynamics in Oxford to take a look at their work in autonomous land, sea and aerial vehicles. There I met Ernesto and Mathilde, who told me what it means for them to be working there. I've joined the company just a month ago and I am in the testing team under engineering where I am coordinating and organising all the flight tests for one of the vehicles we have. It's a very young company in the people that are there and it is, that's its name, very dynamic. I mean, there's more ideas that fuse all around the day and we are allowed to implement them and test them, which is very nice. And I've got Ernesto with me here now. So I have been here in Animal Dynamics for almost five years now. I have been always working on developing electronics and embedded software for the company. So I was quite proud to see two weeks ago when that vehicle started flying with all the electronics developed by us. That was quite amazing. That was quite good. Basically, the daily work here is a challenge after another challenge. I have been seeing so many progress and so many achievement in these four or five years that I have been in the company since we started flying vehicles that weighs only and we grow as a team together so we learn how to understand each other how to accept new ideas even if that looks like crazy ideas and that's actually what makes us a really good team. That was Mathilde and Ernesto at their UK Animal Dynamics HQ in Oxford. Later in the series, we'll take you behind the scenes of this fascinating company to find out about the groundbreaking work they're doing with autonomous vehicles that really are changing the world. Back to our first guest of the series, Stuart Grant, CEO of ARC, Advanced Research Clusters. Having heard that... Personalities are clearly very important, and this is reflected too in who runs the operation. So how would you describe your leadership style and what drives you to do what you do? Well, you know, I've got a lot of experience in the industry, so I've been working for 35 years, and my approach is collaborative, I hope not dictatorial. I come from a world of team sports, actually, and I think that's played through to my approach to leadership as well. I like to build a happy, harmonious team. I have a focus on high-caliber performers, so we spend a lot of time making sure we are the best and the brightest people in our team. We've gone from 15 people two years ago up to 45 people now. I think my style is collaborative. It's not too controlling. It's empowering people, not micromanaging. And I think that's very much, I think, the modern way of managing organizations now. The thing that gets me excited is about, and I hope our team feel the same, is I really feel as if we're involved in a sector, science, innovation, and technology, real estate, that is high quality work. It's making a massive difference to the world we live in. And I think when we're older, we look back to our careers at ARC and at Harwell and Oxford, Uxbridge, Hammersmith and our broader network, we hopefully will be proud to look our grandchildren in the eye and say, look, we, we were involved in something pretty cool that made a difference and we built amazing 
ecosystems where companies and people have flourished and we've helped promote innovation in a small way helped transform economies in a small way helped solve world problems as well so i think it's not just boring real estate development i have meetings with amazing scientists boffins people that in my previous life i would never have had the privilege to meet and me and my colleagues are working in a pretty interesting area that is fast growing, very much a mega trend that a lot of people want to be involved with. And and we're right in the heart of it. I always find it very interesting, the relationship that entrepreneurs have with risk. And of course, there is some risk here. So how would you describe your own relationship with risk? Is it something that keeps you awake at night? Yeah, I think having been involved in the investment world for quite a long time. My attitude to risk is always, I hope, measured. Never want to take too much risk, but at the same time, to move things forward and to innovate and to grow, you need to take risk. And setting this business up two years ago with Brookfield, it was a risk. It was a risk for me. It was a risk for Brookfield. And every time you buy something of scale, you need to do your proper evaluation, you need to analyze, you need to be sure you're doing the right thing. And I think that's why Brookfield are one of the best investors in the world, because they are very deliberate in in how they go about assessing risk and then deploying capital into an, an area that they're interested in. Risk is exciting. If you take on risk in a controlled way, then you can really change the world. Absolutely. And so if risk doesn't keep you awake at night, Stuart, what does keep you awake at night? I'd love to hear anything you've got to share about the current challenges of getting ARC off the ground. Well, that's interesting. My wife and I had a baby. I have a 10-month-old at home, so that definitely keeps me awake at night. In terms of business front, you know, like any business, you have day-to-day small challenges, but you have your big strategic missions that you want to achieve. But the thing that keeps me you know, awake at night in terms of our broader business is achieving the goals that we've set ourselves, which is obviously building a bigger network. You know, we'd like to help the UK with this levelling up agenda. We'd like to build an art cluster in Manchester and other parts of Northern England. We'd like to do stuff in Scotland. We'd like to connect our clusters overseas. So I think certainly growing our platform is important. But at the same time, back to our original first deal, Harwell, that's our flagship. We've got very, very strong and important partners there. The UK is making sure that we care for Harwell. We continue the legacy there. We continue to make that the UK's leading science and technology centre. So I've got many, many things that I worry about, but those are just a few of them. So Stuart, throughout this series, we are drawing on our interviewees' expertise to draw out some advice for our listeners who are hoping to take perhaps their idea from a lab to a startup, to a scale-up and beyond. Any tips or lessons you've learned along the way during your career that perhaps you could share? I would suggest that it's all about giving it a go. We only have one life. It's important, I think, if you have passion for something and you think you've got the next brilliant idea, give it a go. Don't sit quietly in your room or your laboratory and just think, mm, maybe, maybe, maybe. Network, talk to venture capital organizations, talk to organizations in that particular field you're working in and try and commercialize your idea. Move it forward. There's so many support networks, be it from government or on the private side, that can help 
you just need to research and find them. Absolutely brilliant advice, Stuart. So that's all we have time for. So thank you very much, Stuart. It's been absolutely fascinating speaking to you today. Thank you for sparing the time. Thank you very much. So after this exciting start to our new series, here's what's in store for our next episode. When I'm doing science, I get to grow my mindset into thinking I want to be a scientist. Yeah, I want to become an astronaut when I'm older because I can live in space with zero gravity. And when you think about imagination and science, you look no further than one of our most famous scientists, Einstein, who talked about logic getting you from A to Z, but imagination getting you everywhere. That was Tom Doust, co-director of Experience and Learning at the Institute of Imagination based in London along with some children talking about how the charity's work in schools is inspiring them in unique ways to become the scientists of tomorrow. That's next time in the science of business. I'm Hannah Previtt, a business journalist with The Times. This podcast has been brought to you by ARC, the smarter partner for science, and is a Fresh Air production. Follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. (laughs) 